and love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Hi, Love Savers listeners. This is Keith Davis, the proprietor of the Golden Pear Cafes. As I enter my 30th year of marriage, I encourage you to seek the Lord's guidance and wisdom for your marriage, for He is the one who can help you day by day in building a lifetime of peace, joy, fond memories, and a beautiful family. When Anne walked into the Golden Pear to apply for a job as Golden Pear's first pastry chef, I had no idea that God had brought my future wife and mother of our three children literally to my front door. But that is exactly what he did. And although we have had our challenges and ups and downs, God has richly blessed our marriage and he gets the glory for our 30 years together. So I encourage you to seek God's will and use Love Savers as a resource to improve and bless your marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Today's guest author is Gary Thomas. He wrote the book, Loving Him Well. Gary says to women, you're not alone in your marriage. You never have been, and you never will be. While it may not always feel like it, God desires for you to have a healthy, emotionally engaged, and spiritually mature husband with whom you can share your life with. Gary's book will encourage women who are in good marriages and could get even better, and also offer hope to women who feel invisible or marginalized in their marriage. Sandy talks with Gary today about his new book, Loving Him Well, Practical Advice on Influencing Your Husband. Let's listen. Hi, Gary. Hi, Sandy. We're going to discuss your book, the latest one, Loving Him Well, Practical Advice on Influencing Your Husband. How did you come to write this book, and how did your best-selling book, Sacred Marriage, play a part in the decision to write Loving Him Well? Well, Sacred Marriage actually spawned a book called Sacred Influence, uh, which Loving Him Well is a rewritten form. Now, it's about 50% different. I kept some of the same stories, a little bit of the same structure, but that book had come out over a decade ago, and we felt like it needed to be updated. And the genesis was really women that had read Sacred Marriage, and I, I get that God can use a difficult marriage to help shape me, but I want to be a positive influence for my husband. I, I want to, as not just as wife, but as sister in Christ, encourage him to grow in the Lord and encourage him to grow in character, and how can I do that? So I don't write as a professional counselor. I write as a brother in Christ, kind of giving an understanding. This is the way we men tend to be wired. This is what I've seen as helped. And so I've talked with a lot of wives about facing most, the most common issues in marriage and how can you help your husband grow when you see an area where he really 
needs to grow. Right. Well, you say you do it as a brother in Christ, which is true, but you also include people like neuroscientists and therapists, and you just have everyone involved. So we really get a clear picture of the the male brain versus the female brain and emotions and everything like never before. I mean, I learned so many new things. It's just wonderful. Well, well, thank you. And that was a, a, one of the more expanded chapters, uh, understanding the male mind, because I, I found that a lot of wives resented their husbands for being men. Right. <laughs> and we've really advanced in neuroscience, our understanding of the brain. You know, it used to be a nature-nurture debate that's sort of been exploded by our understanding of the brain. When we know that male brains are flooded with testosterone in utero, long before they have a chance to be socialized, God just made us to operate differently. And when women can appreciate that and understand that and work with it rather than against it, they're going to make their life a lot easier and more pleasant for their husband, and they're going to have a more intimate marriage. Right. And, I mean, even understanding certain hormones that would make the male even more aggressive than a female, basically. You know, to learn that it's a physical thing that might help us to be more understanding, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And and that it changes with age. I mean, I I think one of the wonderful things I discovered was at the end is our testosterone tends to decrease. And and, and the same thing actually happens with women. We we actually become better at relating to our wives. So I I would say to the wives, the best years are probably ahead. There, There was a harrowing story of a daughter who mentioned that she and her father or that her mom and her dad got a divorce and that God really did a work in the husband's life and he came to know the Lord and she goes, he's such a different man now and I feel like he, she lived with his, through his worst years and she's missing his best years. That's right. So there's a little bit of warning there but when it comes to brains, the one that really fascinated me is um, the way that men respond to a woman's grief and hurt. Uh, so often men are seen as uncaring because we're known as Mr. Fix-It. We want to, we hear the problem and we want to fix it, but the way that our brains work, women's brains are wired so that when somebody shares a problem with them, they express empathy by mirroring the response. I feel your pain. I understand. I'm there for you. But the male brain, and this is the way that God designed it, our, our natural response is, how can I make you hurt less? How can I fix this? How can I remove the cause of your pain? And I know that's not what wives want to hear. Yeah. But, but I would just say to wives, here, here's how my wife and I have learned with it, and this will be helpful for the husbands. It's that learning to say, when my wife first shares a problem, that's not the time for me to be Mr. Solve It. But if I could come back hours later, honey, I've prayed about this. I've thought about this. Can we think about doing this? And the wife letting the husband do that, because when you're asking your husband not to make suggestions, you're actually trying to get him to not care. Just like the analogy I use, a woman wants to encourage her adolescent boy, and she goes to give him a hug or a kiss, and he recoils, he flinches. And she's like, 
how could he not want a hug and a kiss? He needs a hug and a kiss. And because for her, a hug and a kiss would mirror empathy. And, and she doesn't understand how her son can't receive it. Well, it's the same way with your husband. You, your, your son, you know, you're frustrated that your son won't receive it. Your husband is just as frustrated when you won't receive what he believes is an act of empathy and caring. Yes. I thought it was interesting that you said up till 40 are some of those struggling years, but after 40 is when they can really, the husband, become much kinder and gentler and because of the maturing and the growing and, you know, you're really missing, as you said, the and the, that child felt the best years of your life. So why get divorced? You know, you're missing out on so much. If you do that, yeah, if you don't hang in there. (laughs) Part of it is just appreciating life as God designed it. Uh, We need some men at times to be aggressive, to be adventurous, to go get them, to get things done. Yeah. Uh, Women do that, too. I'm not saying only men do that. But when you look at the creation of the United States, when you look at putting a man on the moon, when you think of Amazon being built and Google being built and Microsoft being, I mean, those were some ambitious men who were driven and whatnot, and there's a place for that. The thing is, is that as we get older, we do tend to become more relational. We do tend to have more empathy. We do tend to be more present uh, in, in that sense of relationship. And so accepting this is kind of how God made us. We don't want to go off the cliff. I'm not excusing workaholic men, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, just let him be that way. I'm just saying a little understanding that there must be some, not evolutionary purpose, but divine creation purpose, that God designed us a certain way. The world needs certain things, and, and men help fill that function as women help fill a function as well. Yes. Can wives really give their husbands the benefit of the doubt, do you think? Don't most women have some unrealistic expectations of their husbands oftentimes and would you also talk about nagging versus encouraging and the notion of that you talk about moving your man yes well here's the thing um when you're talking about influencing a husband it's really getting at what is going to be most motivating. And for a lot of guys, they need to know first that their wives are for them. If we don't feel like we can please our wives, eventually, we, sh- we shouldn't do this, Sandy, what we should often do. We stop trying. I- I- I've seen this with professional athletes, you know, men who have made their living off of athletic excellence. And some of them admitted to me they won't take up golf because they're afraid they won't excel at golf. And if they don't excel at golf, they're not even going to try. And if we get to a point where we don't think we can please our wives, even though we think we're trying as hard as we can, now our wives might not feel like we've tried very hard or very wisely, but eventually we'll give up. And so here's the thing about the benefit of the doubt. And I, and I don't say this as a slam against men. It can be taken in a negative way. I don't mean it. Before you assume your husband is, in, is uncaring, I'm saying he might just be clueless. 
<laughs> we might not be picking up the cue. Yeah. For instance, I, I talked about a woman there who said to her husband, hey, the light bulb's out. She thought she was making a request. He thought she was making an observation. He didn't realize she was that. And she was, well, why would I point it out if I didn't want you to change it? But in his mind, it's like, okay, you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. The light bulb's out just like all oh, the sky's out or the sun's out. <laughs> yeah. and, and marriage can be difficult enough without letting those silly little misunderstandings yeah. get in the way and, and cause dissonance. So I would just say make sure before you judge your spouse, that you you know and they know what's really being asked. It might not be that they're lack, lacking caring. It might be that just not in a negative way, but might just be clueless. They're not picking up the hints that you think you're leaving behind. Right. How can being married to a difficult person become less difficult? You talk about focusing on just one positive attribute and finding common interests with your spouse. How can that help? Well, what I found, many of the wives that shared their stories with this that saw great transformation with their marriages and, and with their husbands, one of the, the threads that held them all together is that they felt challenged by God to move toward their husband in friendship. One woman was married to a non-believer for over 20 years before he shared his faith, and she naturally wanted to withdraw. Well, if you don't go to church with me, I'm not going to do your favorite activity. But it was by choosing to become a biker with her husband, he loved to ride his bikes, that they built the friendship through which God reached him and drew him into the faith. Another woman thought her husband's hunting and fishing had become mistresses. Yeah. And the thought of going hunting with her husband would be like cooperating with his affair. But when she started to do that, she started to realize he would then open up for her. Another woman who her husband was involved in NASCAR. And she thought, what's sillier than watching a bunch of cars drive circles, filling up the gas tank and driving circles. But again, not doing that, he ended up meeting someone else. It caused a lot of problems. So one of the key solutions with all of this is women said, okay, if I want to influence my husband, I have to be his friend. We're not going to be strong in every area, but where we can be strong, I want us to be strong. I, I want to share this. Now, I can hear some wives screaming at me right now, why do I have to go first? And let me just say, I admit it's not fair. But here's what Paul says. If you're the stronger believer, it's the stronger believer who gives way to the weaker believer. Somebody has to step up and say, if we're going to improve our marriage, I've got to act above and beyond what we're doing. If we keep doing what we've been doing, there's going to be no transformation. So I need to get so filled up by God, so empowered by God, and get the hope of God that I can go into a situation and make a change myself and invite my spouse to follow along. Yes. Would you share your insights into the male mind and heart for our female listeners? The man you want your husband to be, you say, is the same man that God intends him to be. Could you explain that, please? That's the beautiful thing about being married uh, as believers. 
when you want to see your transformation in your husband, the platform isn't, I wish you would change so that you please me. That's narcissism. Really. I mean, it, it, it's that sinful that if I want, if I'm trying to turn my wife into a love Gary like he wants to be loved uh, machine, that's, that's just depersonalizing her. It's turning her into a machine. I, I'm acting like a narcissist. But here's where you can see influence. God wants husbands to respect their wives. He says that in First Peter 5. So when a wife wants her husband to respect her, she wants what God wants. God wants men to be sexually faithful in our minds, in our hearts, in our eyes. Jesus said that. So what you, when you want your husband to be sexually faithful to you, you want what God wants. God doesn't want us to respond with anger, rage, slander, malice, or filthy language. That's from Colossians 3.8. So when you don't want your husband to respond to you with anger, rage, malice, or filthy language, or slander, you want what God wants. And so the reason that's so important, Sandy, is that sometimes when a wife might ask a husband to change, well, you're not perfect. You you spend too much, or you do too much of this, or you don't do enough of that. And, and, and then that's a losing game. But if you're cooperating with the Lord, Lord, I know you want this for my husband, I want this for my husband, then it's between him and God. And, and I've just found as a Christian man, I'm far more motivated when I'm convicted by God and have the scripture to back it up than when I feel like I'm just trying to please somebody else that I can find fault with myself. Yeah. Could you tell us some of the marriages you profiled in your book that were transformed? Yeah, well, one is very interesting. I, I kind of hinted at her. Her husband was so involved outside the home that he was like a stranger inside the home. Yeah. He, he hunted all the time. He was an avid hunter. He seemed like he lived to hunt. And when she would complain, he'd say, honey, hunting season's almost over. Just let me finish that. What he didn't tell her is that after hunting season comes fishing season. And, and it would just go on like that. And she was so frustrated. When she prayed about it, what God asked her to do almost made her want her to throw up. She felt God wanted her to ask what she now calls the magic question. She said to her husband, what do you want me to do that I'm not doing? The reason it was so hard for her to ask that question is that her mind was filled with all the things that her husband should be doing that he wasn't doing, but she just felt God asking her to go first. And what her husband asked her was extremely difficult for her. He said, I want you to be in a better mood when I get home. She said, I wish you would have asked me to run a marathon or rebuild a car or paint the house. Be in a better mood. That's the last thing she wanted. But what it did is it got her to start to look at her marriage through her husband's eyes. It was the beginning of empathy. She asked the question one more time, and her husband said something else, and she felt like it really improved her relationship with her kids, doing what her husband asked of her next. And eventually her husband came around, but she had to make the first change. The spiritual transformation of her marriage began with the spiritual transformation in her own heart and soul. And, and that's really difficult, but it's the model that the Bible tells women that, that set an example for your husbands. Let the husbands be won over by the example of their godly wives. Right. It's not easy to do when you're disappointed and frustrated. But according to so many of the wives in this book, it actually can be pretty effective. Amen.
you write a lot about spiritual formation and you integrate scripture, church history. I love that when you bring all these things in and the time-tested wisdom of the Christian classics and writers to transform our modern experience. What are the writers of Christian classics have to say about marriage? What I've loved so much, uh, Martin Luther had a brilliant essay called The Estate of Marriage, where he admitted, you know what, marriage is difficult, raising children is tiring, it takes money, it takes energy, it's disappointing. He said, but you know what, God created most of us to be married and to have kids. So to surrender to God is to surrender to what he calls us to in life, which is to deal with the difficulties of marriage, to deal with the difficulties of parenting, to surrender to that instead of fighting against it. And I think that's the thing, that when we realize God designed marriage, God designed parenting, God designed that marriage would be between a husband and a wife who have different brains and different backgrounds, different ways of communicating, different ways of thinking about the world. But he thinks... I think they're both going to become better people like that. And when you think about it, so much of the Bible hinges on our need to grow in love. Jesus said it's by our love that his church would spread, that we're to love as he loved us. And by this all men will know you are my disciples. He said that you have love one for another. And if you think about how marriage teaches us to love, to, to learn to listen to the different, to learn to understand the different, to learn to appreciate and even celebrate those who are different. It's just different language that says marriage is teaching us how to love. Uh, my marriage was transformed, Sandy, when I began to drop that my first need was, which I thought when I got married, was to be loved. Right. And my greatest need now was to learn how to love. And that's what the Christian classics are all about. You know, growing in holiness, learning to love, accepting marriage as God designed it. Right. What if a woman is never appreciated by her husband? What do you think she should do? This is why it's important to even begin to influence a husband, that a woman has to sink her deep, her roots deep into her relationship with God. Yeah. And I would say to you women, you matter not because your husband proposed to you, but because God adopted you. You're secure not because your husband contributes to the family income, but because God will be your provider. You're important not because your husband is still attracted to you, but according to Colossians, 312, God chose you and dearly loves you. And so it's understanding that I'm there to serve my spouse and to love my spouse, but I get my needs met by God. That, that doesn't mean I can't ask my spouse to contribute to that, but if I make myself dependent on a fallen human being, I'm setting them up to terrorize over me. In one sense, I'm making marriage idolatry. I've seen heroic stories of spouses who have loved other spouses with Alzheimer's, and the spouse doesn't even know they're there some yes. of the time. And yet they continue to love heroically and, and sacrificially. And so, well, that seems like an extreme story. Whether your spouse can love you or won't love you, 
the result is still the same. There will be a season when we have to learn how to receive that from God. And God gives us the grace. And I think if we lean on him, we'll find that he is more than sufficient and more than enough to meet our basic needs so that we can learn to love others with the love he's given us. Right. And if we're faithful to the Lord, if the wife is, she'll be rewarded by the Lord. Um, you talk about the glory of God in a woman. Would you say something about that? There's, when women understand what they're called to in Scripture, how unusually the Bible lifts up the power of a woman to influence the world. Just with the way that they're created. In the image of God, he created them. Meaning the image of God isn't fully explored by the male alone, but by the man and woman together. And then when God says in Genesis 1.28 to be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth, he's speaking to both the husband and the wife. And when you look in the way that Jesus lifted up women, the way he testified to women, the way that women were his only witnesses when in the first century their witness wasn't considered valid in a court of law. And yet Jesus entrusted the most important message that he was risen first to a woman. I mean, women are lifted up in every case. And so um, women are called helpers for their husbands. And why is that so significant? Well, the Bible also calls God our helper. That's right. And so throughout Scripture, the Bible is telling women, you don't have to be passive. You're created in the image of an active God. There are 39 active verbs in Genesis chapter 1 that describe the image of God. You being created in that image, you can be active. You can have an influence in your family, in your home, in your marriage, with your spouse, because of who God is in you, the Holy Spirit. You know, Dwight Moody said this to his kids, but a pastor could say it to his wives. If God be in you, make your plans large. And I would say that to women. Yes. You know what? If it was you on your own, yeah, wear a hard hat and have low expectations. But you've got the Holy Spirit within you. Let God take over and expect big things because you're serving a big God. Amen. Who is this book not for? Yeah, well, I, I would say it is very much a Christian book in that it it's rooted in scriptures and it's talking to women with motivation that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, while there are some basic principles, I really write more as a spiritual director than I do as a therapist. So I, I would say it's women that are serious about their faith, that want to grow themselves, they're open to being convicted by scriptures, but also they want to be a positive influence for their husband. And they want to have some practical tools. I deal with women who are married to very angry men. And what did the wives learn on how to help their husbands to treat them with more respect? Uh, women that are dealing with their husbands, they discover pornography has been a big issue in their husband's life. Women with men who are too busy. Women with uh, uh, men who aren't believers. Those, those things. So the first part is about how you grow to create a climate for change. And then there are many very practical chapters about the most common issues that women face and, and how otherwise wives have faced them what the scriptures teach about the best way to influence a man. Right. And you also mentioned that um, the book is not for women who have to be 
saved from their marriages, right? Yeah. And and you right. um, you know talk about the difference when um, you know things are are really dangerous that you you have to be able to see that and take action. And you talked about women who walk around in fear and they must not and they must not give excuses as to they can't change anything they'll just shudder if they're intimidated because of finances or children which you recognize you know living in a household where there's domestic violence for instance is a lot more of a horrible experience on children or will be in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, unless you escape, right? So you talk and about that too, yeah. Separation can be a dangerous time, so women yeah. need to be very careful and to have an experienced counselor that can help them affect a safe separation. Right. But our, our calling as Christians is to confront evil. And yes. if marriage has become a platform for evil to be exercised, rather than worrying about imprisoning a woman in a place where a husband can be evil toward her, it's yeah. demolishing the platform of evil. Now, that sounds like a severe remedy. We should hate divorce. We should realize that God can restore all things. But yes. I don't believe that we save a marriage at the expense of destroying a woman's soul and right. certainly her body as well. And right. so we just have to be wise as churches that... Well, divorce is always caused by sin. It's not always a sin to get a divorce. Right. It could right. be the man's sin that is so egregious. We just need to save the woman from the effects of being destroyed. Yes. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful new book, revised and added to, and uh, we'll just look forward to your next great book, and we'll talk to you well, again. And for now, we'll thank just... Thank you so much. Okay, we'll just say goodbye, and God bless. Okay. Always a delight to talk to you. Oh, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Gary. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Is your marriage in crisis? Are you or your spouse struggling to stay together? Could you be in need of Christian counseling that will provide biblical solutions and prayer for the restoration and healing of your marriage? This is Sandy and Walter Fox from Love Savers Ministry. We have experienced the devastation of divorce and understand the pain of a marriage in crisis. But here's the good news. God restored our failed marriage. After seven years of divorce, we have faith that God can heal your marriage. God hates divorce. We have seen marriages restored by the Lord. So if you're looking for anointed marriage counseling, call us today. Call 917-804-5034. That's 917-804-5034.